This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Frontline Gaming presents 40K Stat Center with your hosts, Val Heffelfinger and the Falcon. Where he fits, he sits. We learn exactly what happened when the Falcon flew south to San Diego for the SoCal Open. And then we take you to Sweden, where the masters of the modern meatball made Malmo Wargaming Weekend's Warriors weep. The Space Marine meta gets smelted down for parts at the Steel City Showdown. And finally, like Blink-182, we cover all the small things that happened over the weekend, including an Edmontonian onslaught, a Kipper's Melee, and an Autumn GT. Welcome back, lady, maybe ladies, if it's a good week, and gentlemen. We're now on week three of Space Marine Meta Competitive 40K Death Vigil, and well, you may be surprised to learn that the world still turns, and those hammers, they're still a warren. Falcone is currently perched in a secret lair in Edmonton, Alberta, or as he likes to say, down south. How you doing, dear Pete? How was SoCal? SoCal was absolutely incredible, Val. I had such an awesome time meeting just a wicked group of people that I really only get to troll online and make fun of on this show. That's nice. A little face-to-face trolling, you know, really be able to look them in the whites of the eyes while you say something mean about things they feel bad about. It's good. You, I, I mean, it uh, it warms the cockles of my heart. Uh, the only problem is um, a lot of people wanted to thank me for everything we've been doing, and oh. it just made it really awkward because I absolutely don't like that. No. I, in fact, um, the displeasure you take in public displays of uh, appreciation for specifically you just warms my heart and uh it's the only reason i i feel a little bit sad when someone gives me credit for all of your work on 40kstats.com because uh (laughs) you know i know that as much as good as it makes me feel to have people think that i have anything to do with it uh i know it would make you feel that much worse if they knew that it was actually you it's true it's true i absolutely hate any kind of recognition i receive whatsoever I would really just appreciate it if people just nodded at me curtly and uh, and or were absolutely afraid of talking to me. <laughs> so you got to work on that resting bitch face, buddy. I do. I do. I tried the sad puppy look, but it just it couldn't fend off uh, the masses. There was a lot of people coming up to the table, kind of hovering, um, waiting for their moment to strike while I was doing commentary. And then they'd shake oh, my hand. They would nice. say, thank you so much for everything you're doing. And uh I'd be done. I wouldn't know what to say back. <laughs> That's why I like the walk really quickly with like a, a mean face thing. So just like always just look mean and like you're in the middle of something. And that's what I, that's basically me at work. Um, yeah. And also I find Bluetooth earbuds. I'm not even listening to anything. I just, I just always have Bluetooth earbuds then. Oh man, I had Bluetooth earbuds that entire time and I didn't pull them out. <laughs> the works a charm. Um, all, all right. Well, that's great. And uh, we got lots coming up in the show, obviously covering SoCal, along with a full slate of others to cover. But before we get there, though, um, despite what uh, Pete may have just alluded to, stop what you're doing. Hit the like, hit the subscribe, type some random letters into the comments, because that's how we get the show out in front of more earballs. And folks, 
That's why at least I do this. Ego. Pure, unrestrained ego. And as an added bonus, you get the best competitive 40K content week in and week out. Let's just... Let's just have a look at what our most recent iTunes review from Aphex Wolf has to say. Okay. Unfortunately, there is a trend with podcasts in which awesome gaming podcasts start up, get popular, and then the gaming companies put them in their pockets. Podcasts basically become state-run media. Hey, all right. Well, still two stars from old uh, Aphex Wolf. <laughs> all right, how about one more? What else we got? Oh, um, Necron Lord 3. He sounds nice. Wow. As if the first two podcasts weren't bad enough. Why not add a third? The audio quality on Stat Center is as bad as Chapter Tactics, and the player commentary is hokey and boring to listen to. Ooh. Players talking about themselves to themselves. Hard pass on Stat Center. Yeah. The Falcons info was more interesting on Chapter Tactics. Hey, backhanded compliment at the end there. We'll take it. And don't worry, Necron, Necron Lord 3. Not only are there three shitty podcasts, but now there's a fourth, and it has a paywall. This week, if you really have a problem with us, why don't you cash Nick Rose outside as he talks through his Iron Hands list from Battle for Salvation on the Art of War. Yeah, and we're pretty sure you'll love the Chapter Tactics episode this week because they didn't do one. And why not bring that positive attitude along and fling some feces at Reese and Jason on signals from the front line, live to air every Wednesday at 11 p.m. 11 a.m. PST on Twitch. Finally, last week I completely forgot to shout out an amazing store I got to visit up here uh, nearish Toronto called Critical Hit Gaming Lounge out in the Schwa, just east of Toronto. It's an incredible venue, uh, and you know we're seriously lucky to have it around in these parts. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of going 2-1 and one at an RTT that they hosted there, uh, I guess, two weekends ago. Uh, and it's clearly a, a labor of love from uh, Dom and Val, Uri, the owners. Uh, it's got a bar, uh, food, great tables and terrain. If you're around these parts, definitely go check it out. We're lucky to have uh, a great space like that. Um, check them out on Facebook, as they should have a sweet LVO prep GT coming up in January. Woo. Woo-woo. Now give me that bump. Tournament news is made possible by bestcoastpairings.com. Download the BCPTO app to organize events for just about any tabletop game system. Download the player app to easily find and participate in events from around the world. Around the world. Subscribe to BCP for as little as $5 a month to support the team and unlock additional features available for iOS and Android. BestCoastPairings.com. Competitive events. Easier. And so it goes. Last weekend, the Falcon traveled 15 hours to deliver truth to power to be the voice of a hobby, to become one with the online hive mind, and it was glorious. Despite having to deal with tens of fans introducing themselves and thanking him for his work, somehow, some way, he pulled through. That's right. I joined 221 sweaty, red-faced men and women, half of which with shitty podcasts to their name, and a quarter of which running an army they had never played before with the hopes of it carrying them to greatness. For those of you that are wondering if you had to put those two groups together into some kind of Venn diagram, it would pretty much just be a small circle inside of a larger circle. Together we strode the worn concrete floors of a repurposed hangar out in Del Mar Fairgrounds in Southern California. 
Now, the SoCal Open is one of Frontline Gaming's big three events of the year, and it has gained renown for its spacious venue, its ability to develop new terrain rules that anger the small portion of players that don't like playing a fun game of Warhammer, and its excellent track record as a tournament in which parking lot fights are consistently a threat that no one actually follows up on anymore. T.O. Reese Speed Racer Robbins was more than happy to wax poetic about the event. Hey everybody, this is Reese Robbins from Frontline Gaming. We just got done hosting the SoCal Open 2019. It was a major here in San Diego, California, specifically Del Mar, uh, within a stone's throw from the water. Really, really fun event. Uh, had 300 registered, had 225 show up for the 40K champs. Also had uh, H Sigmar, Shadespire, Kill Team, 30K, and a 40K narrative. So it was a really well-rounded event. Uh, event ran super duper smooth, uh, although the rounds were on time to the minute, had a really good crowd. Uh, this year we saw a lot of people coming from the East Coast, the UK, we had people from uh, Norway, really good crowd, super chill. You can always tell when Reese has had a few drinks of whiskey in him because it's it only sounds like he's had one to two uh, smokes in the day instead of like six packs. Now, SoCal was a six-round event this year, and uh, with more than 200 players in attendance, it would mean that at least three players would end the event undefeated. The lineup was stacked, with all, uh, as always, with favorites like Nick the Brown Magic Natavati, Richard America's Sweetheart Siegler, Jim the V-Disease Vessel, and multi-time event winner Brandon the T-9000 Grant, going up against perhaps less favorite players like Adam the Latin Gandalf Solace and Michael Ryder Die Snyder. With a lineup like that, early front-runner losses came fast and furious. Brandon Grant was removed from the running in the first round with a loss to Ruben Butterfinger Fernandez's White Scars and Iron Hands. Daniel Olivias would drop to Junior Oh Baby, a Flahey on stream in round two. Ray, the veteran leprechaun re-enlisted Ayumata, would remove Steve the Mean Machine Pampreen. That's not his nickname. Steve treat a mean, keep him keen, Pam Preen, in round three, only to be toppled himself in round four. It was an exciting event to cover, and Pete's little legs didn't stop pounding the pavement throughout it to make sure everyone stayed up to date on what was going on. After five rounds of play, six players were still 5-0. and oh. Brian, the Mr. Rogers of 40K Poland with his towel, would play Junior of Flay's Knights at the top table, while Colin, Minute Maid, McDade's Death Watch, Blood Angels, and Graven Guard would take on Alan, the last son of Gullyman, Marshall's Ultramarines on table two, and John, the most understanding man in America, Lennon's Space Marines, would go up against Carlos Kaiser Bun's Custodies and Imperial Fists on table three. <laughs> this is getting too much. Now, Brian had put up some serious numbers in his opening five rounds of play, and it was clear that if he were to win his game against Junior, no other player would be able to catch up. On the other hand, if Junior were to somehow slog through the seemingly innumerable drones at Brian's command, then the field would open up quite significantly. All three matchups were extremely close. On table two, Colin McDade would jump out to a commanding lead against Alan Marshall playing an extreme game of cat and mouse in the opening turns to capitalize on as many of his secondaries as he could while weathering the extreme firepower of Allen's gunline. This was a game even uh, made even more difficult when he lost his assault centurions, essentially the core of his army, to a blistering overwatch in the opening round. By the fourth round, 
Colin was running on fumes, trying to tie up Alan's biggest threats as best as possible, with no real threats of his own left on the board, and he was maintaining bare points parity with Alan's larger force. However, when the final die was rolled in round six, Alan had not been able to fully clamber back, and Colin would end up uh, up on top by a single point. Let's take a quick look at uh, Colin's list. Do you happen to have that up, Valley Poo? I sure do, Schneckums. Now, I uh, just want to say that there's a little bit of a, of a preamble on his list. It's, quote, I've been playing Marines before the new Codex and not quite bandwagoning as hard as everyone else. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see about that, Mr. McDade. So he's got a battalion detachment of Blood Angels. Uh, he's got a captain uh, with, a, you know, smash captain, normal stuff. And he's got three scout squads, um, all of uh, which are um, the uh, combat kind. Then we have another battalion detachment of Death Watch, librarian with a jump pack, uh, and then a watch captain. And then he's got some pretty complicated little units here that I'm going to stumble through. He's got a unit of veterans with two Terminators, a Vanguard veteran, uh, five veterans, and a watch sergeant. Uh, and then uh, they're mostly armed with uh, storm bolters. And then after that, he's got a vet, another veteran squad, two Terminators, a Vanguard veteran, five veterans, and one Watch Sergeant. And then a third unit, which is one Terminator, one Vanguard veteran, five veterans, and one Watch Sergeant. Uh, I'm sure Peter will correct uh, what I missed and screwed up there. And then we've got one final battalion detachment of uh, Raven Scars, if you will. Uh, this is Hungry for Battle and Long Ridge Marksman, uh, Successor uh, Chapter Tactics. It's got a captain with a, a jump pack, Storm Shield and Thunder Hammer, a chaplain with a jump pack, uh, and then uh, an in two infiltrator squads, uh, just bare bones, and then a scout squad, again, the combat fellas, and then assault centurions with hurricane bolters and the flamers and the giant drill fists. Whew, a lot, a lot of gear in there. Yeah, I mean, he's running f essentially four Smash Captains when you when you look at it. He's got two Blood Angel ones, he's got a Death Watch one, and then he's got a Raven Guard one. Mm -hmm. um, so they're going to bring a lot of heat. Um, the mixed squads, it's a ton of Storm Bolters and Storm Shields. Uh, Death Watch, they can do a lot of work against uh, particularly like Orcs, uh, Gene Stealer Cults if they can't get the drop on you, uh, Nids, Tau, because they can really rip through drones with the amount of shots they put out. Um, so it's really good tech against those matchups. And even um, if you're looking at infantry marines, there's uh, something to be said about AP2 Stormbolters um, ripping into inter intercessors. So it's uh, Death Watch definitely are no slouches. They, they usually struggle against uh, vehicles, but he's definitely you know, patched that up with all these smash captains and yeah. the assault centurions. So it's a really, really well-rounded list. I like it quite a bit. Well, not much more to say on top of that, so let's kick it over to Colin, and uh, he can tell us all about it himself. Hey guys, thank you for having me on 40K Stat Center. This is Colin McDade. I placed third at the SoCal Open this past weekend. Uh, in regards to my list, I built it in mind to fight the three main armies I thought would be the most prevalent there, which was, of course, Space Marines, Orcs, and Tau. And I actually fought all three of those. Uh... I fought two two horde armies, orcs and nids, and then three space marine lists, and then tau. So I kind of built my list in mind to fight those armies, and lo and behold, I actually went against, went up against them. In regards to my MVP unit of the weekend, I felt that my Raven Guard successor centurions 
was definitely that unit. Uh, being able to put them up in the middle of the board every game was huge as it caused a huge disruption for my opponents right from the get-go. And it usually made them think really hard about what they had to do. And I think, honestly, it forced a lot of mistakes for them, mistakes for them to make or put them into tough decisions early on, which I capitalized on later in the game in order to pull out the wins each each game, I felt. I would have to say without a doubt, my favorite match of the event was against Richard Siegler, my fourth round opponent. He was the 2019 Nova champion with his Tau, and he is an awesome player to play against and a stand-up guy as well. Uh, he definitely earned his his title at at, at Nova with how, with how well he plays. Uh, I matched up with him on one of the one of the four wall, one of the four hill wall tables with a giant ruin in the center. The big turning point in that game was being able to kill a Riptide first turn of my three, with three of my Centurions, and that kind of set the stage for me to jump ahead on points and uh, ultimately ultimately secure the win. Uh, Richard was a fantastic player to play against. Uh, if there was a great if there was a best sportsman award, he would most certainly get it from me. So on top table, I got to play against Alan Marshall. He's a hardcore Ultramarine player, and this is actually my third game against him. So we kind of have a rivalry going on at this point. I beat him last year at SoCal, and then he beat me this year at Bow, and then this year I played on top top round at SoCal. So this is my chance for payback. The turning point in this game, I think, that ultimately secured me the victory was when I killed both of his engineer units turn three, effectively keeping him from scoring three more three three possible points, which ultimately allowed me to, to get the win. Uh, I made a big mis- mistake turn one, which kind of put me on the back pedal, but I was able to recapitalize recapitalize on being able to score the bonus point uh three turn three turns that game which is the one where you have to have th- characters on three different objectives which ultimately helped me stay ahead on points allowing me to get the win in in the final game alan was a great opponent as well uh, i would love to play against him again i'd like to thank atomic copy shop in cypress texas for supporting me and sponsoring myself as well as the rest of my team fn pro uh, they've really helped helped us this year in getting to events around the state as well as the country and I'm proud to represent th- represent them, and I ho- and I hope I did a good enough job this time going six and zero at SoCal. Uh, the event the event itself was amazing. Uh, everyone was fantastic. The frontline guys did an excellent job running the event, and it was my favorite event again this year. And I can't wait to go back next year and hopefully, uh, hopefully do even better. Thank you guys for having me on again. Uh, looking forward to hearing y'all's podcast when it comes out. I'm planning to go to LVO this year and hopefully I will do as well as I did at SoCal along with 24 other Texans that are coming with me. So we're going to pl- we're going to take LVO by storm and we're bringing the Texas heat. So be ready for us cuz there's a lot of good players in Texas and people are going to be surprised by how well we do. On table 3, John Lennon would start his game by seizing the initiative on Carlos and only kill a single Custodes jet bike before having his Centurion stalled in place for multiple rounds by the combined annoyance of Thunderfire cannons and Tanglefoot grenades. Despite being mostly shut down on one flank of the board, John still made headway, taking down Carlos's bike squad in the third round with his second squad of Centurions, but losing the majority of his squad in return. The game would be a back-and-forth battle, but Carlos was backfooted early, losing both of his engineer squads in the opening turns to his suicidal smash captain, 
and some sassy, untouchable dreadnoughts. It wasn't until Carlos finally ran out of CP and John's remaining assault sense got into the meat of Carlos's lines that the game would finally turn fully in John's favor. Why don't we go through John's list? Birdbrain, cue it up. Aw, yeah. John Lennon, running dim Adeptus Testardis. Let's start off with his White Scars Battalion, which has a chaplain with jump pack, a chaplain on bike with a combi melta of all things, three uh, combat knife scout squads. He then had a second White Scars Battalion. This one has a smash captain, a librarian in Terminator armor with a force sword, three more combat knife scout squads. Uh, sorry, uh, one combat knife scout squad and two uh -huh. both them. Hey, you missed it earlier on Collins. I just didn't say anything. And then he had uh, two assault squads, with uh, one with the full Centurion assault launchers and flamers, the other with hurricane bolters and flamers. And he rounded it out with a spearhead detachment of Iron Hand successors with Master Artisans and Stealthy. He had a Chaplain Venerable Dreadnought with twin LAS cannon, three Eliminator squads, a Mortis Dreadnought with two twin LAS cannons, and two Thunderfire cannons. Well, Lordy Lou, now this has been a well-documented list, I mean, both on this show. I mean, uh, I think John's been sort of doing the circuits uh, pretty hard recently. Uh, he described it in detail here. Uh, there's actually a really great um, uh, episode about SoCal that he does on uh, the Best in Faction podcast, or bros up in uh, the Northwest United States there. Uh, he's also uh, described it in detail on Art of War on this very own uh, uh, podcasting channel on the Frontline Gaming Network. Um, did, have you noticed, uh, were there any tweaks whatsoever, or did he just sort of go in with what, what he was uh, running recently? So yeah, due to the Iron Hands FAQ, John did have to make a few modifications to his list. He goes into detail on what he would do um, in the Art of War podcast, since that was recorded prior to the FAQ. I mean, he basically played that all out. He dropped a couple Dreadnoughts because he, he could no longer take the character keyword, added in the Chaplain, uh, added another Thunderfire Cannon. Um, I'd really recommend listening to that podcast if you want to hear his kind of thoughts on uh, where to, where he would take the list and why he went that way. He touches on it a little bit here in the uh, in his clips, but um, he goes really in depth there and on BiffPod. Yeah, and uh, John was a, a little bit busy fielding podcast interviews and fighting Gators, so uh, we get two clips from him. Uh, he's just going to talk a little bit about, I think, uh, some of his tweaks, and then also, uh, you know, he's he's. I gotta say, when when I was watching him on stream, um, uh, playing against Mister Hegstrom Oki. Um, he was incredibly good about uh, talking through everything that he was doing. I don't watch a lot of live 40K, um, so it was great just to see a, a player of his caliber uh, just communicating literally everything he was doing and also checking in. Every time his opponent made a declaration, he would understand. So why don't, <laughs> why don't, we, uh, why don't we kick it over to John for his clips? My favorite unit from this past weekend would actually probably be my scouts, even though they're very boring and vanilla. Just putting out 17 melee attacks each on an infiltrating troop unit was very, very useful for me. I really liked putting them forward in blocks of, you know, 15 to 20 melee scouts all in a building in the middle of the board. Uh, it just gave me a lot of board control. Um, if I were to make any change to this list, it would actually probably be to trade the scouts in for something like Incursors, just a slightly tougher unit to fill that role. But all weekend for me, they were getting me objectives, recon points, and killing other people's troops just through weight of dice. Uh, definitely the most pleasant surprise for my list this weekend. Regarding my playstyle and playing by intent, uh, just narrating everything I do, it helps me work through 
my turn and then announcing it, make sure that I'm doing it right, uh, just so my opponent can check my measuring while I'm moving so they don't have to check it later after it's too late for me to fix something. Uh, really just makes the game easier and more enjoyable for me. And then also I just don't like the little silence when people are doing their movement and there's no interaction with their opponent. This, to me, just makes the game more interactive during my opponent's movement phase. You know, I'll talk through what they're trying to do just to make sure I understand so I don't have to check it later and make sure they're doing it right, uh, make sure I'm doing it right in my turn. Uh, really, it, it honestly just makes everything run easier for me. I know it turned into a little bit of a meme because um, I can get kind of focused in game and I'll, I'll repeat myself, uh, I understand, but you know, it's just made my tournament play a lot easier and I think more enjoyable for both people. And at the top table, the only game that truly mattered was on Junior and Brian. On paper, this was Brian's matchup to lose. Tau generally have a really good game against Imperial Knights to begin with. And Junior's matchup was made all the harder by an an a hammer and anvil deployment. Uh, the game would start poorly for the Knights of House Crest as Junior would only take out a small number of drones in his early turns and uh, a squad of Pathfinders uh, while losing his Knight Gallant in return. That said, he played to his objectives and quickly built up a pretty large lead, uh, surprising even yours truly as I was getting Mariana to update the scores while she drank whiskey out of a paper bag. Um, at one point, it was 18 to 12. Um, he had very careful target priority, and it kept him ahead uh, despite being slowly picked off by Brian's commanders and riptides. It was an intense back and forth that would really only be decided in the final round when Brian was finally able to bypass Junior's leave, uh, lead uh, by turning his attention to the guardsmen and Junior's backlines and finally dropping Junior's last night. Uh, with this said, Tao would take the SoCal Open and cause an intense wave of confusion amongst the greater Warhammer community, both in terms of the state of the meta and, the general, and their general state of arousal. Yeah, Tao, Tao could be a bit of a boner killer. A hundred percent. I mean, when you think you're going in with an auto win army and then you go up against 48 drones and a guy like Brian Pullen running them, it kind of changes your heart just a little bit. Absolutely. He beat four Marine players on the weekend. Yeah. Um, why don't we, uh, why don't we actually bring, bring in the grand Pooba himself? Uh, just to, just to give, give some attaboys to, to Brian right here. Uh, the event was won by Brian Pullen and his towel. He went through an incredibly tough field to get there, beat uh, Nick Nonavati, Team Zero Comps, Team Captain Junior Aflihi, uh, Ray Ahumada, uh, the best Azriani player in the ITC last year, and uh, just some really a who's who of quality 40K players, and he won handily. He won by quite a bit. Uh, great championship game as well with Junior, coming down to just one point. Uh, you can go check that out on Frontline Gaming underscore TV on Twitch. And it'll be up on YouTube here pretty soon as well. And before you all go racing off to Twitch and YouTube to watch it live, why don't I just run down what Mr. Pollen was packing? All right, so we got a Tau Outrider detachment with a uh, commander uh, and a, an, an enforcer commander with three fusion blasters and a drone controller. What? And then three fast attack choices. There, eight shield drones and three marker drones in each unit. So a little, little bit of a wrinkle there for Mr. Pollen. And then uh, we have a Vanguard detachment. It's got a commander in a Cold Star uh, battle suit with four uh, fusion blasters. Uh, and it's also got he's also got the uh, two shield drones with him there. We got three Riptides with the standard 
Actually, not really a standard loadout because he's uh, he's got ATS, of course, but he rocks target lock as opposed to velocity trackers, uh, which are often used more often. And then we've got, uh, finally, a battalion detachment. And in this one, we've got a cold star with four fusion blasters, uh, an ethereal, and then uh, three strike teams. Uh, each uh, one has uh, a marker light with the Shazui, and uh, as well as uh, carrying along two shield drones with them. And then finally, in the fast attack slot, we've got a Pathfinder team. And this one has the full suite of drones with it. That's the Pulse Accelerator, Grab Inhibitor, and Recon Drone, as well as two Shield Drones. Uh, and that's uh, the list. So a few deviations from Siegler's famous Nova list. Um, it, I, I believe it got some, some snickering about the unoptimi unoptimized nature of, of these choices in the face of the ruthless efficiency of Siegler's list. <laughs> Um, and, uh, obviously he'll go into it in the clips, but, you know, fusion commanders, cold star fusion commanders. What, what is this? 2017? <laughs> I mean, this is what I'll say about a fusion commander in the current meta. Um, as things turn to more vehicles, particularly iron hands vehicles that can absorb just that extra little bit of damage. Um, it starts to dissuade a person from looking at um, running uh, CIBs just a little bit. I believe the damage potential is relatively similar, similar but it's that swing damage. Uh, you see it in his game against Junior. There's like one turn where one of his commanders pops like 23 damage on a knight or yeah. 11 and then 12 on, like between two of them. Um, and that's a that's a big swing, um, especially if you're looking into possibly having to deal with Iron Hands air lists or... Um, uh, and with the kind of deterioration of um, Eldar flyer lists in the meta, there were there, I don't even know if there were any at SoCal. At least there were none in the top levels. I mean, Ray Almada played three, and that was kind of the thing. You saw three flyers. You weren't seeing these eight and nine flyer things that were like a terror to Tau mm -hmm. uh, for so long. So that kind of gives you a little a little opening. Um, I'm not going to talk too much to it because Brian and like just like Richard is kind of a master of Tau. There's no use me uh, trying to explain it when he just was going to do it so much better. Yeah, and I think that's something to really, really highlight is going back and watching um, you know Brian um, play Tau. And this is something I think anyone who actually actually plays Tau or tries to in tournaments is it's a technical army, and uh, these are two guys who are really strong, uh, methodical, technical players. Um, because Towson is an army that can just straight up lose in deployment pretty much any game. <laughs> so, um, you know, even with all the drones and such, uh, it, it's it's something that you have to uh, know what you're doing to run well. So without any further ado, why don't we bring Brian Pollen, SoCal 2019 champion, in for his thoughts on the event. Hey, guys. Thanks for welcoming me back on the show. Um, I had a really great time at SoCal, uh, as always, an amazing event, and I was super excited to win this one for the first time. Um, as you heard, I was bringing my Tau, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of known for bringing my Tau, although I was really thinking about bringing a different army this time around. Uh, I just didn't have enough practice with any of my different Space Marine builds in order to feel comfortable taking them to such a big event. And actually, I think I want to highlight that as kind of one of the big turning points for me. Uh, I played a lot of amazing players. Uh, over this past weekend, but I just had more practice with my army than they did with theirs. And I think that that made a big difference because a lot of the Space Marine armies I played, I do feel were stronger or in some cases better positioned than my Tau army. But um, the Space Marine armies can actually be kind of complicated to play. There's lots of stratagems, lots to keep in mind. And uh, the fact that I went back to an army that I had so much practice with made 
the biggest difference, and it gave me an edge in those matchups. Um, of course, the Tau is still really a good army, a, a great army against Space Marines in particular. Um, so I had the tools to deal with with them, but um, I think if a lot of those same players could do it again and they had more practice, uh, I think they would be able to deal with my army. My MVP unit for the weekend, um, you know, it's probably going to be the Fusion Cold Stars. Um, I haven't been using them in a long time uh, because I've been focusing on Ion Commanders. Um, but I thought with the added vehicles that were in the meta and the amount of just things with really good saves but no invulnerable saves, th things like Centurions in counting in cover, um, that having the, the high AP and high damage was useful. And that really paid off. In all my matches, uh, they paid dividends. Uh, I think most of them got their points back every single turn, turn by turn, which uh, is very rare to say. And of course, the, the mobility of a unit that can move 40 inches was huge uh, for just having threat all over the board, forcing my opponents to be very cautious about placement. And especially in the late game, when you have those cold stars, they can just dominate the battlefield. And uh, they're not that easy to kill um, unless you have the right dedicated firepower to go after them. And since they're characters, I can, I can hide them pretty well. So they were definitely the shining stars. And I, I know everyone uh, online seems to be crediting the shield drones. Uh, but you'd be surprised how little they mattered in a lot of my matchups. Um, yes, they tanked a lot, uh, like they always do. Um, and I had a lot of drones, 40-something, 40 47 drones. But realistically, most of my drones were not necessarily near my suits most of the game. I have a lot of two-man squads. And those two-man squads aren't meant to stand next to my suits and soak up wounds. They're meant to run around and grab recon, sit on objectives, or just generally be a screen. And uh, in that sense, they weren't being used for savior protocols. They were being used just as a, as a board control unit. And they were, they were really good at that. Um, you know, a two-man drone squad sitting on an objective can be as hard to kill as kind of like a five-man Space Marine squad. And so you really have to dedicate real firepower to take them out. And uh, that's the real strength of them, that I have a, you know, a little 20-point unit that you have to put a real set of guns into and they might not die. Um, so they're definitely an MVP for that. While I had some really exciting matches against some really amazing players this weekend, um, the most exciting game, and I think most people would agree, was the final match against Junior. Uh, this is the first time I ever had a chance to play Junior, um, and I was really excited that we got to do it on a top table. And if you haven't seen the, the stream, it was an extremely close game, 27 points to 26 points. And at any point in the game, it could have been either of ours, uh, even really down to the last turn. Um, in fact, I was down on points every single turn of the game until bottom of turn six. That was the only turn I went up on points. So it was very, very close. Um, there were some major turning points in that game. Um, I would say that going into the game, I had an advantage and that really Junior was outplaying me for quite a bit of it. Um, and I was just being cautious to try and uh, just really try to win by very little points because I've, if you go for a blowout with Tau, a lot of times you can mess up and lose the game. And I kind of made a mistake like that. I, I tried to kill a second knight in my second turn, and I thought that I kind of had it in the bag, and I shot all my fusions at it, and um, Junior made a lot of his saves. I think he, he literally made every single fusion save. And um, that was a miscalculation on my part because I put my commanders at risk to do that, thinking that the knight was going to be dead for sure, and it didn't die. It lived on three wounds. And um, both Junior and I had thought that that had cost me the game, 
And then in his next turn, he was going to be able to kill probably all three of my commanders um, and then still have several knights, two knights alive. And that would have been it. And uh, Tau have a really great strat, uh, NeuroWeb System Jammer, where I can uh, pick a unit and give it minus one to hit. So I was able to do that on, on his knight. And he just rolled not amazing, and the commanders didn't die. And then he was forced to try and charge my commanders to kill them, and I was able to kill the knight in Overwatch, which, um, you know, with eight fusion guns was possible when he only had three three wounds left. So that was a just an unbelievable turning point. It went from being uh, what looked like my game to definitely his game back to being my game. And uh, although in reality it was still close all the way till the very end, but that was by far the most meaningful turning point in that game. Thank you, Brian. And congratulations again for winning the event. Uh, one thing I'd really like to highlight, folks, is is what Brian said there about playing what you're comfortable with and what you have the reps in. Um, it's something that I've said in the past. I know Val said it. Uh, anybody that's on any kind of competitive uh, F40K podcast will try to bring this up as a, as a really big deal. Um, sometimes chasing the meta can have a, like a negative impact on your performance. Sure, you want to play this thing that's, uh, you know, the new hotness or that, you know, statistically seems to have an advantage. But if you're not getting those reps in and if you're not aware of every possible situation and how to deal with it, it's going to leave you at a disadvantage against a guy like Brian or like Richard Siegler or even Colin McDade, who's had a lot of reps with Death Watch and Blood Angels. Um, Thomas Eggstrom Oki went uh, 4-0 against some really good Space Marine players. He beat Ruben Fernandez, who had taken out Brandon Grant and Don Hooson already. Um, like these are guys that have hundreds of reps with the same list, the same army, and that plays a big part in competitive 40k. I mean, uh, like Brian, uh, just, go just ahead, to interject Val. a little bit. I mean, just look at the top table. It's 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 you know it's a three knight list uh, versus a talus. These are two lists that existed really before the Space Marine meta, you know, had come to prominence, and and here they are at the top table. So yeah, maybe uh, maybe it's just a matter of reps. Yeah, and both guys, I mean, Junior's been playing uh, Triple Knight for forever and a day and, like, successfully doing it. So, like like you just said, like, it's it's a it's a clear sign that it's not always just the best codex, but you got to get a good pilot behind it, too. Um, so, I mean, maybe in a month or two you'll see Marines kind of jump up again just based off that. It's hard to say. Um but it's uh, it's a it's a really really big takeaway I think from this whole thing. And uh, also, uh, if it fits, it sits. Tournament news. Hey, this is Brian Pullen from Tabletop Titans, and this year's SoCal Open champion. You're listening to 40K Stats. It seems to be clear that the Swedes have finally woken up from the drunken stupor they generally find themselves in throughout the summer and return to providing consistent, competitive Warhammer 40k content for us to enjoy. The Malmo Wargaming Weekend marks the fourth weekend in a row that we've been able to provide you with coverage of the ever-evolving Scandinavian meta. And it sure is a treat. We absolutely love these rapscallions with their high blood alcohol content and their Olympian preparation techniques for their Warhammer events. Tio Gustav Leitstate, Leitstate, Something like that gave us a full rundown of what makes Malmo a unique experience. This weekend we played Malmo Wargaming Weekend 4 and we have been doing it for the third year in a row. The first year we actually did two weekends in one year, so counts. We are doing high-end gaming at a conference and hotels, which is a nice convenient environment. Uh, we have been growing from I think 40 players to 82 players that started this year. 
We hold it in the very south of Sweden at Malmö Arena Hotel, which is a convenient place for those uh, who are coming with trains from uh, Copenhagen and Denmark. This is close to the Copenhagen airport, which is appreciated by the international players. We expected a very marine heavy meta. Uh, we were 16% marine players uh, as expected and 9% of iron hands as expected, so 25% uh, marine players. We were playing with the new iron hands uh, FAQ and that helped a lot. Uh, we only had one players with the iron hand air force list. If you're around Malmo next October, check us out, come and play. Contact us uh, through Malmo Figurespelsforening on Facebook and you will get all the updates. Once again, that was Malmö Figurspelsforening. Just in case you missed it the first time. All right. Uh, so, 92 players from around Europe made their way into the Malmö Arena Hotel for the fourth annual major event. The Alliance Open team from the Netherlands was in attendance, as was 40K Stats correspondent Mark Crumblebuns and a number of Swedish players we have had on or discussed on the show, like Thomas Christensen, uh, Jonathan Holm and Kim Ramusen, Neil Judge Dredd Kerr even made an appearance going 4-1 and one and showing that he really does know how to play this game despite the claims people make about his judgment. After four rounds, there would be four undefeated players vying for the top spot and two near-identical games would ensue. Ross Champion's Iron Hands would face off against okay, Kim Rasmussen's... How does, how does Ross Champion... I guess he, he doesn't need a nickname. He's Ross Champion. Yeah, exactly. That's why I didn't give him one. Fair. I get it now. Duh. Continuing. So yeah, Ross Champion's Iron Hands would face off against Kim Rasmussen's House Tyrannus Knights, while Johan Norman's Ultramarines would go up against Jonathan Holmes' House Tyrannus Knights. In the end, Space Marines would end up triumphant, with both Johan and Ross pulling off wins in their respective games, and Johan taking the event by a single battle point in the tiebreaker. Let's go over Ross's list first. Mr. Falcon. A1. So Ross Champion, who does not need a nickname because his last name is so awesome, <laughs> was running an Iron Hands Battalion with a Smash Captain. However, instead of a Thunder Hammer, he went a little cheaper, took that Power Fist instead, yo, and a Primaris Chapter Master with a Plasma Pistol and Power Fist. For his troops, he had a five-man Intercessor Squad with Stalker Bolt Rifles and a Power Fist a 10-man bolt ri uh, rifle intercessor squad with a power fist, and a second stalker bolt rifle uh, squad with a power fist. He then had a vanguard iron hand detachment with a primaris chaplain, a squad of three uh, aggressors, a redemptor dreadnought with the onslaught cannons, and a second redemptor dreadnought with the onslaught cannons. And finally, he topped it all up with another spearhead of iron hands, this time with a primaris lieutenant, a Contemptor Mortis Dreadnought, a Mortis Dreadnought, a Relic Leviathan Dreadnought, a Thunderfire Cannon, and a Razorback with a Twin Assault Cannon. By the way, all those Dreadnoughts, other than that uh, Leviathan, are running two Twin Laz Cannons. All right, so uh, sounds like uh, the fact dropped, and he was like, eh, YOLO. Yeah, who cares? I'm just going to run every <laughs> Dreadnought that I have ever bought. That's right. And we'll see what happens. And uh, and hey, let's uh, let's maybe find out from Ross himself. Maybe that's exactly uh, what he was thinking. So when I went to Malmo recently and uh, competed in this um, ITC major, I decided to take uh, my my Iron Hands. Um, I think the uh, 
the list sort of reasonably speaks for itself. Obviously, we know about we all know we know all about the strength of the supplement. It's uh, a very very strong uh, army with some fantastic rules and stratagems available. Um, but as I say, it was my first time running them. Um, I actually played Iron Hands um, as as a heresy player when I first came back into the hobby about three years ago. Um, so I actually had quite a lot of Iron Hands uh, still in the uh, in in the foam in the loft. Uh, so I was quite happy to crack those out because uh, this did quite a lot of heresy stuff, sort of Sakarans, um, Contempt of Dreads, um, you know, Leviathan Dreads. Uh, some of my old Forge World HQs, so uh, yeah, they translated quite nicely into a into a pretty good uh, 40k list. So I thought I'd just add a few Primaris to it, as you do, and, uh, and 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 sort of go from there. So the list ended up basically being a battalion, a vanguard, and a, uh, a spearhead, um, which gave me sort of sort of a, a reasonable amount of CPs. Although I probably would have quite liked a few more, so I might think about changing that list into a double battalion, but that's a, perhaps a conversation for another time. But um, this list, were, I'll sort of start off with the battalion, really, and I started off with um, a sort of fairly controversial choice, but before I go for it, I just want to clarify, I didn't run a successor, I was running pure Iron Hands. Um, I was looking at Master Artisans and Stealthy as a uh, as a successor chapter, but the paint scheme I had um, for the army kind of sort of sort of really lent itself really more to sort of pure Iron Hands. So I went I went basically for that, and it, it is they are very very good ultimately. But um, whether they're better than um, sort of a Master Artisan Stealthy combination, well that's I suppose um, a conversation for another day. But um, the uh, the battalion started off with uh, with with a with a Primaris captain. Not Phobos, not Phobos armor, just the regular regular Primaris captain. Uh, pretty much paid every single game for him to have the chapter master upgrade. Um, worth his weight in gold. That chap, um, ninety three points of, of gold, especially considering the uh, the new wording. Um, so he's yeah he, he's he was an auto take for me, not particularly fluffy to take in an Iron Hands chapter since they don't have chapter masters. They only use Iron Fathers. So, but as I say, um, it, it's it's such a good such a good little unit to have for that reroll bubble um, that uh, that I couldn't not. So in terms of he. He was also my warlord. I took the warlord trait target protocols. Target protocols allows me to select a unit within three, um, and uh, he and that particular unit can reroll one hit wall, one ruined wall, and one damage roll um, per, per 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 phase per shooting phase, um, and that was amazing. I pretty much put that on a contempt to mortis dread um, with firing four las cannons every turn. Um, so that was um, yeah, it was very very nice little little thing to have. Um, also gave him the relic, uh, the Vox Spiritum, which allows a sort of a three-inch extension to that uh, not that 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 sort of chapter master reroll bubble. So he had a nine-inch bubble. Um, so I was rerolling a lot of the time, rerolling pretty much everything in in the army, uh, which was sort of very tightly castled up. So yeah, that's chapter master HQ one, HQ two. Uh, obviously, was the uh, the Primaris lieutenant. Uh, gave him the Ironstone um, because you just would, um, and obviously his, his normal normal lieutenant reroll bubble of, of ones to wound. Yeah, as I say, Iron, Ironstone speaks for itself. Even after the FAQ, it's still a very good relic, especially when you have it hanging around the Leviathan Dread all game like I did. Um, so, as I say, um, Ironstone and, and, and Lieutenant is a great, great little combination to have. Um, so, yeah, I'd say quite, quite good. Three troops choices, um, two five man intercessor squads with stalker bolt rifles um they speak for themselves in an iron hands unit they're scary as you like six inch move still hit on threes reroll ones don't need really need to be in the bubble strength four minus three in devastated doctrine two damage they are primaris killers um they're they're fantastic at just removing primaris marines um, and i came across two or three units of those different armies had various primaris marines that i need, needed to die so that that was a, a cracking unit um, and then controversially i had a 10-man unit of intercessors but i actually gave them the the, uh, the regular bolt rifles and the reason for that 
um, it's because I really like the rapid fire strategy, um, especially in uh, tactical doctrine. But n- not that I actually ever, I ever put myself in tactical doctrine because I never actually faced a horde the entire weekend. Um, so as I say, I, I didn't really ever need it. Um, but I, I, I mean, I, I played a similar Primaris list at, at no retreat in Gibraltar, and I found that the uh, the, the, the the rapid fire strat was incredibly useful to have when you take on hordes. Um, so I actually put that in. Um, I. I don't necessarily know it was that successful because the situation didn't call for it. But uh, as I, say, I still, uh, I still, I still rate that very, very highly. Although I probably will switch out to stalker bolt rifles for my next game to try it. But as I say, three basic intercessor units. Um, then, as I say, just to finish off that uh, that battalion detachment was just a, a simple uh, razorback with twin assault cannons and a hunter killer missile. Um, just just because I had the spare points, I had the model. Um, you know, a razorback moving ten inches and, and still firing twelve shots at minus three uh, at minus two. Uh, 12 shots uh, re-rolling ones um, is, is, is really really handy um, I think the Razorback is an extremely tidy unit for Iron Hands players um, as I say I think it's uh, uh, absolute, absolutely golden um, then if we look at the uh, the, the elites uh, the Vanguard detachment I took a, a Primaris Chaplain um, I gave him Catechism of Fire which is basically having um, the ability to add one to wound rolls um, for a unit uh, against the closest enemy unit. And as you probably guessed, that pretty much hung around the Leviathan for the entire five games. It was a brutal combination. It does so well against Toughness 8. Um, giving, I mean, wound, wounding on fours, re-rolling ones, um, you know, when you're hitting with pretty much all 20 shots, to be honest, rarely missing. Um, that is a, a very nasty thing to take down knights uh, that get too close. So, yeah, the, the Catechism of Fire was, 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 was a fantastic little thing to take. Um, it was a toss-up between the Chaplain and a uh, Librarian. Um, I, I really am a fan of the Chaplain. I think it's a cracking little unit. Um, but the, uh, the three elites are the um, a unit of aggressors. Um, we all know about aggressors. Um, they're a very, very good little unit. Um, actually didn't perform that well. Um, didn't really have much synergy with the rest of the list um considering dropping them going forward but yeah aggressors were, were, were super handy when i needed to uh use the fists actually more than i needed to use the guns so um yeah re-rolling uh re-rolling 13 power fist attacks is very very nice um the other elites i had in there were the redemptor dreadnoughts i had two redemptors um which were uh both are kitted with obviously the redemptor fist for obvious reasons and all the daca the onslaught gatling cannon the smaller Onslaught Gatling Cannon and the Icarus Arrays. Um, both of those, they're really, really good. Even without Ferios's five up in Vun Bubble, they're still really, really good little units. Um, I, I really like them. Um, what I would say is uh, that the, the, the calculated fury with, with the Redemptor Dreads is, is, is really, really good. Um, but there is a question over their survivability now. Um, a six up Iron Hand save doesn't necessarily make them any more resilient. Uh, and obviously, the Duty Eternal now is obviously only one use per phase and usually you, you put that on the leviathan so as i say um it's um, it, it remains to be seen whether they're the most effective unit you could bring in at that points level some would argue that a flyer might be better um you could probably fit a couple of storm talons in for the same cost but i really like dreads and i wanted to go for a dread theme in the list and uh, i had the models so why not and as it trans as it transpires uh, you know when you're firing that, that that sort of 18 shots at minus two yeah, that can do a lot of work so um yeah they were really good little units the redemptors so that completes the vanguard and in the spearhead i had a smash captain 
Um, interesting choice for Iron Hands. Um, but um, I felt like I needed a bit more reach um, to put some some units in the back of the bit back of the field under a bit of threat. So I brought in a power fist smash captain, and I gave him the uh, the Imperium Sword uh, Warlord trait. So I paid for the, uh, the, the that that strategy that allows you to take a Warlord trait, and the Imperium Sword allowed him to reroll charges, and gave him an extra attack. Um, and I believe, in fact, also makes him plus one strength, I believe, as well. Um, so he was hitting a strength ten. Um, really nice little. Little little unit to have as a, as as an option um, and gave me a bit more reach uh, further out into the uh, opponent's backfield. As it happens, he's, he he whiffed a lot. Um, the smash captain he did absolutely sod all, all weekend, which was a great shame. And I still think there's a lot of validity to the unit, but given Ferios is the same cost, um, you'd have to question, you know, which of the two you take. You know, Ferios is 110 points, smash captain's like 111 or something. Um, you know, at that points level, you'd have to think um, that Ferris is probably the better bet. But I still feel that there is a lot of validity to a smash captain that can hit with six attacks on the charge. Um, a seven, in fact, because of the uh, shock assault. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. But the smash captain, yeah, he didn't perform for me all weekend. Um, and it's a question mark for me over whether he stays in. Um, but I think I probably will persist with him because I like to have that variety. So, And I took four heavy support uh, options. Obviously, the Relic Leviathan Dreadnought. Dual storm cannons, two hunter killer missiles, an absolute beast, an absolute beast. Uh, he was so so good all weekend. Just didn't die, unsurprisingly. Most of the time I was taking the ironstone and using it on that. Most of the time I was taking the duty eternal and kept it on that. Um, and yeah, as I say, the, the thing didn't die uh, and just put out so much firepower. It was horrendous to be honest to to see the sorts of swathes of models that that thing can remove. Um, performs brilliantly all weekend probably the number two mvp and i'll come on to that in a sec um the other two uh, i had a contemptor mortis dreadnought and just a plain mortis dreadnought that was that decision was mainly derived from the faq obviously previously i was able to use march of the ancients uh, more than once and obviously I, I can't do that now in iron hands lists so i took a mortis dread at eight wounds Use March of the Ancient stratagem on that. That would sit at the back and just pop off last cannon shots for, for days. And you can't target it, basically. Um, so it, it's a really nice little unit to have at the back that you can't target. The Contemptor Mortis Dread uh, so it has a 5-up in Vun, 12 wounds, hits on 2s. Rerolling 1s in, in, in Devastator Doctrine, which you are obviously always in. So, as I say, um, I had 8 last cannon shots that were really reliable all weekend and they were fantastic at killing things like flyers, vehicles, um, you know, any armour. They, they, they basically shredded. Um, it, they were very, very good units. And then the last, um, the last uh, choice actually was a really late inclusion um, and frankly was probably my MVP, um, which was the Thunderfire Cannon. Um, now the Thunderfire Cannon was a bit of an unknown to me, but I was recommended it by a friend um, and it was a brilliant unit. Um, and I'd absolutely consider a second one for my next event. Uh, absolutely amazing units in ITC, but having a 60-inch range, um, 4D3, you know, hitting on twos, re-rolling ones, uh, being able to hit units out of line of sight in ITC is absolutely massive because it can clear units off objectives for fun, uh, especially those little sort of, uh, you know, the Loyal 32 or the Rusty 17. They don't they don't stand much of a chance against a Thunderfire Cannon. So I'd absolutely recommend they're, for the for the points, you know, 90-odd points for a Thunderfire Cannon, two for me every day of the week. And I'll be adjusting my list to definitely do that. You know, a, a unit that can sit in your deployment zone on an objective out of line of sight with an untargetable character, 
um, is is absolutely fantastic. So yeah, for me, um, the MVP for for my list absolutely was the Thunderfire Cannon. It, it, it scored me more points than than um, than probably any other unit. Listen, it wasn't necessarily about the fire output. Um, but it was all about sort of having tremor shells, having the ability to fire twice. Um, the the stratagems that are available for it are absolutely game changing um, and and so so valuable. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of those units, and I'm definitely going to put another one in the list for future events. So in terms of sort of the key components of the list and sort of strategies that I was kind of employing, um, well, in ITC there is a lot of validity to going second. Um, and I went second in four out of the five games um, at, 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 no Rich, at Malmo, should I say. Um, they were, I, I, I sort of, a, a couple of them were, were my decisions to allow my opponent to go first, but it was it was part of my strategy because I, I knew I had range with the uh, two Mortis Dreads uh, to take out most armoured targets that are at distance. So um, I, I often back deployed, to be honest, um, sort of reasonably out of line of sight and gave my opponent first turn. The reason for that strategy is because there is a lot of back end of battle round scoring in ITC, um, and it, and it, it really I find it hugely beneficial to to know what I need to achieve in my turn to win the end of battle round scoring. Um, I actually value that higher than I value the ability to necessarily go first and try and obliterate my opponent. Now, I, the army can do either, and that's why the arm I think is so strong is because I have that resilience. I have the ability to use stratagems that make me almost impossible to kill certainly around things like the leviathan um, or i can deploy out of line of sight out of range um, there was plenty of line of sight blocking terrain at malmo and so one of my key strategies really was to weigh up who i was what i was playing against what the threat ranges were back deploy um, if i uh, if i knew that there was very little damage that the opponent could do uh, or be really aggressive and forward deploy and maximize the shooting output of the army which is very very significant when you consider it um, I, I did get very lucky in a couple of the um, a couple of the, pe- the, the matchings. I think a couple of my opponents would say themselves that they deployed a bit too aggressively against me. Um, and as I say, the, the amount of firepower that this list can put out when it fires well, and with the chapter master reroll bubble of nine inches, um, I'm pretty much uh, re- I'm pretty much hitting in about ninety five percent of cases, um, not including obviously negative modifiers to hit. I'm just talking about base uh, base base ballistic skill. Um, and yeah, so as I say, it, it can put out. A, a lot of a very nasty firepower. So, as I say, my my, my key components really were, were, were was, was castling up, um, making a decision really, um, and 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 I think I've made the right decision in in most cases. Is that you know game one, for example, I played against an Iron Hand successor chapter, um, and he back deployed everything behind a large line of sight blocking piece of terrain, um, knowing he would do that because I I picked the side knowing he would do that. I, de- I back deployed, um, and as I say, um, it it it. it, it allowed my opponent to go first he moved things forward and, and really didn't kill much but what he did do is bring everything into my range so I was able to capitalize turn two yeah and so I, I, so I was able to kill quite a lot of, of, of his list in, in, in my shooting phase so as I say the, the strategies really were to sort of maintain bubbles essentially the nine inch chapter master bubble the six inch reroll ones lieutenant bubble making sure that my iron stone stayed close to my Viathan dread you know making sure that the, the, the chaplain was always within range uh, to cast the litany on on it you know, um, and just making sure that those sort of synergies um, sort of worked. Obviously, the, the beauty of, of the Iron Hands list, of course, is that if you really ultimately have to leave the bubble, you're still catered for in the fact that the heavy weapons, you know, they're, they're still they're still hitting on threes or at worst threes. You know, they're, they're still re-rolling ones in Devastator Doctrine. Um, 
it, it really is quite a brutal fire output, um, even if you're not necessarily uh, within that bubble. And it gives you so much redundancy when you need to leave and, and move to sort of grab objectives elsewhere. You can still do that. So as I say, my, my list was, as, as I've already described, was, was very heavily loaded with a lot of heavy weapons, um, as, as it should be. You don't leave Devastated Doctrine if you're an Iron Hands player. Um, unless unless someone wants to shoot me down, but I just I just don't see the necessity to do so. Um, and, and given calculated fury is such a strong tactic, um, you know you've got to play to its strengths. So, as I say, um, if, you, if you're if you're tactical and and you and you get your distances right, you pre-measure the distances between your opponent's key threat units and your movement and gun range, um, you, you, you can mitigate a lot of first turn pain. And in ITC, um, that's a really solid strategy and one I use quite a lot. So after having considered like how the list performed at Malmo and obviously um, going going five and zero and finished second, I think the, the the general tale of it is that the list generally performed incredibly well. Um, you know, it, 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 make no mistake, Iron Hands is an incredibly strong supplement. You know, they, they've got their tournament record speaks for themselves recently. Even after the FAQ, they're still placing, you know, very highly in a lot of events. Um, it, it's no it's no joke really. They are they are a very very good unit, very good uh, army, and they're actually, you know, obviously they're not. The, the most difficult army to play to be honest with you um, it, it's about bubbles it's a very early 8th edition style list um, and as I say it's, uh, it's, it, it, it's got so many strong units that actually picking the one that performed the best um, is actually quite difficult to do um, but what I'm going to do is for the, for the sheer virtue of the fact that um, it was such an unknown to me I'm going to give the MVP to the Thunderfire Cannon um, because of the impact that it had on my opponent's ability to control the board um, and just the amount of time it gives me uh, to have at least one, possibly even two, pretty much four rounds of shooting at my target um, using tremor shells and firing twice stratagems. Uh, expensive in 3CP, but realistically, for what it can do, um, it's absolutely amazing. Um, so, you know, firing at that redundancy of being able to fire at units outside of the line of sight and slow down your units to a basic crawl. When you've got a hefty gun line firing a high weight of shots, it can be really, really punishing, um, especially when you use it on things like I don't know grotesques or, you know, other fast-moving sort of gene stealers or, you know, uh, noble demons even plague bearer units. You know, stopping their ability to sort of control the board is, um, you know, it's absolutely amazing. And so I, I didn't actually face any of those three examples, um, but you know what I, what I was able to use that thunderfire cannon for was. Um, you know, to clear units off objectives all game. Uh, you know, and and that and that was incredibly powerful. You know, and obviously the 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 four D three shots is reliable. Um, and obviously they're they're, they're hitting on twos, rerolling ones in devastated doctrine. They're minus two strength five, so you're winning on threes more often than not. Um, so you know, it's a really really good unit. And I, as as I said before previously, that I really want to I want I want to bring a second one of those in for sure. Um, I think you know word word to you know any 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 other space marine players that don't have one in the list. You know, definitely get one, especially you Imperial Fist players. Um, you know, ignores cover uh, on a Thunderfire cannon would be uh, absolutely amazing, uh, especially if you're firing at vehicles. Um, you know, damage two. So uh, you know, that's um, that's a, a brutal, brutal unit for Imperial Fist players as well. But uh, you know, yeah, reliable for Iron Hands players just as well. But um, as I say, yeah, great unit. Um, I'd highly recommend it. Hi guys, just to give you a view of there on the uh, last game played, um, which was also, you know, my favourite game of the event and also my toughest matchup for sure was against uh, was against Kim Rasmussen, um, sort of very well known player in the in the sort of, sort of Scandinavian meta, very good player. 
um, and uh, running a, a really good a good list, uh, a list that I wasn't familiar with, to be honest with you, and uh, and, and still, you know, um, I, I'm not uh, making excuses, but I, did, I didn't really have that much prior knowledge of, of, of what his list's sort of function was and, and kind of how it would work. But, you know, um, ultimately the list was uh, three um, House Tyrannus Crusaders, uh, all Gatling cannons and melters, thermal cannons, um, uh, five assassins, two Eversers, and one each of the... Uh, of the rest and uh, and 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 uh, the rusty seventeen, uh, the sort of classic uh, sort of small cheap battalion, uh, just to give them the CPs. Um, now, obviously, um, this is um, an interesting one because theoretically, there's actually quite a good matchup for the Iron Hands. Um, I don't mind particularly facing three three knights. I feel like I've got the guns to bring down knights reasonably uh, reasonably effectively. But what I didn't know was about the kind of that particular um you know house tyrannus uh sort of sort of strats and how they sort of function i've never faced them before or particularly read much about them and obviously their their main shtick is obviously coming back to life for uh, two cp on a four up and then using another cp to act as if they're top profile now that was one hell of a shock i must admit i didn't realize that they did that um i, I found out to my cost after i pumped a load of firepower into his warlord uh on my on my turn one um and, and, and he got he got, he got back up again and and proceeded to mow down pretty much, uh, you know, you know, a couple of hundred points in the next turn. So that was a learning experience for me, but I learned pretty quickly. Um, as I say, that uh, that 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 mistake wasn't made a second time. So uh, as I say, a learning experience for me. Um, but uh, he was a gentleman. Obviously, he explained everything to, uh, to us uh, during the game. But um, it was a good, it was a good game. And as I say, the um, the, the, the matchup initially was quite hard. He had first turn. I tried to seize, failed, um, and, and he sort of advanced on. Now, he, he would tell you himself. Um, that his his three crusader melter guns whiffed quite hard throughout the game um didn't really do a lot obviously i was i was reserving the duty eternal for the use on the leviathan um i i hid a lot of my stuff out of line of sight first turn including the leviathan himself and, and i tried to hide as many of the redemptors as i could but obviously the uh his warlord had a, a relic melter which had like a 48 inch range or something along those lines and uh, there's very little i could do to prevent that melter from annihilating one of the contempt of mortis dreads in the back of the field so i lost that pretty early in the game um but the other one obviously couldn't be targeted which was you know, really quite incredible in this game because it, it made it allowed it gave me so much fire redundancy um i castled up quite closely around that because i didn't want the, the the four assassins getting in my back lines killing my warlord um, so I, I sort of castled up with quite a lot of my, uh, my my intercessors to ensure that the uh, the deep strikes uh, you know weren't weren't easy to get into key targets. So um, good match up that uh, it was very tight, um, but I was just able to sort of pick up more uh, sort of hold mores and, and and more cards than him uh, throughout the game really. And I, I maximised my secondaries, which were ultimately decisive. I took um, as you would uh, you know you know Titan Slayer. I took uh, King Slayer. I think it was. Um, and big game hunter, I believe, um, and I got I got all of those uh, all, all twelve secondaries. Um, yeah, he took uh, he took old school, um, which was um, I don't think he I don't think he got any of any, any of old uh, the old school secondaries, uh, which, which cost him quite quite a bit, unfortunately for him. Um, and uh, as I say, so yeah, the secondaries. I think mean, I think on the on the on the sort of uh, sort of sort of end of battle round scoring cards and hold mores, we were probably very very even. I think I think I probably won that. 
um, sort of fifteen fourteen or something along those lines. But I think where I sort of I sort of took the game really was more in the secondaries in that final because I um I obviously had uh, a very clearly obvious set of secondaries to choose facing three Crusaders. So that certainly helped. Um, but uh, again, in this game, the Leviathan was a br- was just was just brutal. Um, although the Redemptivists actually did some work in that, they, they sort of Redemptivists took out a couple of knights, and that's the that's how you kill Tyrannus knights. You ever do it in melee, or you do it via mortal wound, which I didn't really have. Um, so yeah, as I say, lesson learned, and uh, charged out the Redemptors to to take a, the last sort of two or three wounds off the knights. So. As I say, they were um, yeah. That, that was that, that's that was the strategy to use in the final. Um, so I ran out of twenty. I think I saw twenty six twenty or something along uh, on the lines. Win in the end. Um, obviously devastated to hear that I'd lost by a point um, or, or two points really uh, to to the eventual Ultramarines winner. But I was delighted to get go, go five and zero with the list. Uh, it performance. It was the first time I'd actually used the list in an event. First time I'd used the list. Period. Um, and I was really pleased this, that uh, that that I was able to sort of really sort of give all my opponents a really good game. Um, but uh, the final game in there was really satisfying to win. Obviously, you know, Kim's a, a great guy and a really top player, so you know, delighted to get that win in the end. Hi, Johan. Hi, guys. Um, just here to give you a bit of a view on how the uh, the event went uh, over at Malmo Wargaming Weekend last weekend. Um, fantastic event. Hugely enjoyed it. Not our first time there. Um, came uh, last year to NW3. Um, really, really enjoyed the event. Cracking people. Um, I knew Martin, Cato, and Oscar, obviously from uh, from No Retreat. Um, I met those guys there. I really got on with them there, and they invited us over to to Sweden, and we, we sort of took them up on the offer last year, and we, we never looked back really. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to coming back next year. Um, really, really great event in the Malmo Arena Hotel in in Malmo. Lovely, easy flight over to Copenhagen. Quick train across the water to get in for us from London. Um, so uh, yeah, look, it, it's a really nice event, really well run, uh, cracking scenery, really nice people, great tables, and some good, good strong lists. You know, not 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 too uh, too competitive, although they're competitive enough. Um, but uh, no, really, really, really great event. Um, and I think credit the guys are sort of real credit to the hobby. They've done a fantastic job, um, and I've really, really uh, delighted to, uh, to to make it over there to, uh, over there this year. Um, as I say, hopefully, uh, it's something that we'll continue continue to do. You know, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I was detecting a regional Swedish dialect there. I mean, you might be right. Um, I mean, even though he, I, we've had a lot sorry. of Swedes. We've had a lot of Swedes on the show at this point. I feel like I'm a bit of an expert, and that, I, I that's feel like a very, you are very southern uh, Swedish. I think uh, that accent. Did you listen to the clips, Val? Yeah, uh, no. <clears throat> okay, I believe he does actually say specifically where he's from. Oh, oh my! And it it may or may not be Sweden. Okay, fair enough. Um, alrighty. Well, why don't we uh, why don't we kick things over here? Why don't why don't uh, why, why doesn't old Val Uncle Hefe uh, uh, take a, take a gander at the champion, the winning list from Malmo, uh, which I of course already had up on my computer screen. Here we go. The unsung eagles, uh, rocking sixteen CP and a brigade detachment. We've got. Uh, also using the Indom- Indomitus Crusader Specialist Detachment, love it. Master Artisans, Stealthy, Ultramarine Successor. Um, the HQs were a Captain on Bike with a Power Fist and Storm Bolter. Uh, a Librarian in Phobos Armor with the Camel Cloak and the stuff he comes with. A Primaris Lieutenant uh, with a Mastercrafted Auto Bolt Rifle. In the troops section, we've got... Um, uh, let's see here. They look like uh, six min squads of intercessors, uh, all with auxiliary grenade launchers and bolt rifles. 
Well, actually, no, there's one auto bolt rifle uh, sprinkled in there just to screw me up and embarrass me in front of the Falcon. And then in the Elites, we have an Aggressor Squad, uh, just three of them with the uh, Boltstorm Gauntlet and Fragstorm Grenade Launcher, of course, an Apothecary, and a Company Ancient on bike uh, with the, the standard of the Emperor Ascendant. Um, and a Storm Bolter. Under Fast Attack, we've got three Inceptor Squads. What? And then in heavy, in heavy support, we've got uh, three Eliminator Squads. And uh, anything else down here at the end that I didn't miss? I don't think so. That's it. That's the Oh, whole there thing. is. You missed an entire detachment. What are you talking about? Oh, it's an Outrider detachment. Holy crap, it keeps going. Um, same setup. Um, it's the Ultramarine successor. Jeez Louise. Captain on bike. Uh, with a mastercrafted bolt gun and a power fist. And then we've got three suppressor squads rocking yep. out there. Um, that's the list for real this time. Falcon, that's a lot of Primaris bodies. I'm kind of cross-eyed. Yeah, and this is a this is a very unique list. One thing I'll tell uh, the, the listeners, in case you haven't realized yet, um, Malmo didn't use your standard ITC mission setup. So for their primaries and their and their secondaries, they did use ITC championship missions, but they added a tertiary, uh, essentially, which is the uh, Maelstrom objective cards, where they could score an additional, I believe, up to six points uh, from Maelstrom, which adds kind of a unique um, added aspect to the game and kind of lends itself to armies that can kind of flood the board a little uh, more quickly. Um, or take advantage of those cards. So a list like this that just has so many small units, uh, they can still have put a ton of fire. Um, it makes a big difference. Uh, you these might, Inceptor squads, you never see them. You might even call it uh, they, multiple small units. Yeah, like maybe some kind of I don't know what the what's the uh, what is the, what's the term for that? I don't know. Let's just uh, coin, let's coin it right now. I'm gonna go uh, MSU. MSU. Okay, yeah. So it's catchy. It's an MSU. I like it. MSU lists. They'll. You watch for them, guys. I bet they'll be big someday. Um, but yeah, like Inceptor squads are putting out what 18 shots per 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 unit. The suppressors as um, ultramarines. Once they get into that tactical doctrine, they're moving and firing at the same capability as uh, as as a stationary suppressor for anybody else. So there's a lot of good there. Um, yeah, I really like I like the list. I don't think it, it works as well in a straight ITC environment. Um, but uh, kudos for Johan for making it work. All right. Well, uh, without further ado, let's get Johan on the scene. Hello, my name is Johan Norman, and I was playing Ultramarine Successors at the Malmö Wargaming Weekend. It's a, it is a really nice event hosted in Malmö in southern Sweden with a quite international crowd. Many participants come from Holland and some from the UK and Denmark as well. Overall, it's a very professional event with a feeling of being well worked through and it's well worth a visit. My list is a Space Marine Horde with Master Artisan and Stealthy to give the most damage output as well as the most survivability. The idea is to have enough bodies to take a hit and still be able to hit back. I have around 70 bodies consisting of 6 units of Intercessors, uh, about nine inceptors, nine suppressors, and nine eliminators. That's the base of the army, and they are all backed up by chapter master, lieutenant, my crazy back bike captain with 12 shots, and most importantly, the banner dude. The banner dude is my list's MVP, mainly because it lets me act in every turn. It's 
a very good defensive tool to be able to kill stuff in your opponent's uh, shooting phase. Once I actually killed a knight in, in the banner phase, so to say, and then I killed another one in the overwatch. That was in the last game. The knights only had one and two or three wounds each, but it still shows the value of being able to act in your opponent's face, because if they had charged me, I would have been wrecked. Another mention should go to the librarian, because he was carrying the Seal of Oath, which is an amazing item and should never be missed in a Ultramarine's army. He also gives me a few extra command points, which is essential since I start the game with only seven of my initial 16. I had five really good games against five good opponents. Four of my opponents ended up with a 4-1 to one score, so I'm really happy I could uh, pull out five wins. I would say that on paper that the fights against Iron Hands are the hardest because they are one of the few armies that can actually cripple my army really quickly because of their armor penetration values. However, I would give my honorary mention to Dusty Justy who piloted a Motarion and Plague Bitter list to a very good degree. It's a list that I think I should win against quite easily, but he was uh, playing it masterfully and almost got the win. It sort of came down to uh, a Plague Bearer Horde trying to wrap my intercessors while Mortarion were, was uh, hitting them with his uh, fists, not trying to kill anyone. In the end he killed one intercessor too many and Mortarion was out in the open. Uh, that is an easy kill for me and after that it was a downhill battle for him. Overall I'm really happy about my performance and I would like to say thanks to all my opponents and the TOs as well because they were amazing all of them. I will return next year and I recommend you all to do the same. Thanks. Congrats Johan! I'm sure you've made all those people that bought Inceptors when 8th edition released pretty proud. Now get back to that bar in Stockholm. You deserve a rest. Tournament news. Hi, I'm Stephen Box from Vanguard Tactics, and you're listening to the one and only 40k Stat Center. Punch the clock, fellas. Grab that lunch pail and grab your shirt. No, not that one. The other one. That's right. The blue collar. You're going to need a belt, too. No, not that one. How about something rustier? Okay, now you got it. I hope you brushed up on your ethics, specifically work, because we're going where they work hard and they play hard. That's right. It's time to visit Steeltown, USA, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I'm pretty sure they don't make steel anymore, but whatever. It's the Steel City Showdown. I know your listeners are much more interested in hearing about the competitive aspect of the event, so let's get to that. Generally speaking, about half of our players were local, with others coming from other parts of PA, West Virginia, Ohio, and Maryland which creates an interesting mix of meta between the Midwestern players and the East Coast. Now, the armies being played were diverse, with every codex showing up, and I've noticed that our meta isn't heavily influenced by the newest netlist, but more on what the players enjoy or REM. That's not to say we don't have a significant percentage of those that do build tough-as-nails lists, as a few of us are in Beast Coast, such as myself, TJ Lanigan, and Jeff Beeman. The winner of the GT, Louis Stolberg, was also in the top 16 at Nova. 
Out of the 44 people, we had roughly 12 armies from Codex Space Marines, with five being Iron Hands and four being Raven Guard. The recent nerf to Iron Hands allowed armies such as Admech and Orcs to counter them fairly successfully. All in all, I was quite happy with the variety of, of armies I saw and the health of the competitive aspect of the game. Now for some shoutouts. I'd like to thank everyone that helped make this GT get consistently better every time. Without the players and their support, there would be no events. Also, both of our yearly GTs are part of the Mid-American Gaming Series, or MAGS, which gives the winner of each a ticket to Gen Con for the Invitational Finals in 2020. The next tournament that the Steel City Legion will be running is the Bedlam in the Berg at the end of April, which will be a 64-person major and is going to include promotion and commentary from some of the more well-known players in Beast Coast, with more information to follow. I know that a lot of people don't put Western PA on the radar, but they should because this area is quickly becoming a larger scene with four GTs in the past three months and more to come. Now, the last thing I want to mention is that myself and other tournament players are starting to actively stream our games at my home 40K studio. So if you'd like to see top players such as TJ Lanigan and perhaps even Nick Brown himself, just check out the Steel City Legion on Twitch and our Facebook page at Steel City Legion to see all upcoming events and hundreds of pictures from past events. The Steel City Showdown featured 44 players forging a hard narrative with their bare, calloused hands. Iron? This is steel, baby. And at the end of it all, two players were as perfect as tariffs levied on foreign commodities. Louis Stolberg with his admec, and none other than... T.J. Lanagan! With his retuned chaos, both wound up a perfect 5-0. and Now, TJ has been quiet as of late. With a muted appearance at Battle for Salvation a few weeks back, it feels like months since the former number two has done anything. Could the man who practically qualified as a co-host a few months ago be showing signs of fatigue? Dr. Falcon, let's have a look at this list, shall we? Sure thing, Stakes Us. So Steve Lanigan, and by that I mean TJ Lanigan, he ran a Chaos Demons, Chaos Undivided Battalion with the Poxbringer and a Changeling. He had a 10-man squad of Brimstones just hanging out, 29 Plague Bearers, another squad of 20 Plague Bearers. He had one of them Thousand Sun Supreme Command detachments with Ahriman, uh, two of those Demon Princes of Zainch, and Magnus the Red. What? Say what? And then finally, he had a spearhead detachment with a Poxbringer and three Plague Burst Crawlers. Well, okay. I guess we can't say anything. I know I know. Uh, Tej is going to be telling us a little bit about Magpie, but um, Magnus. I mean, how is that? Magnus. How is that possible? I thought he just gets aced at the start of every game. I think that sometimes he does, and then sometimes he don't. <laughs> think about it like Mortarian, right? Uh, yeah. The big thing about Mortarian is... Is that oftentimes he does get aced at the beginning of the game, but it fo- your opponent has to focus so much fire on him that it kind of le- leads uh, leaves the rest of your army to go ham. Um, and in the case where he survives, it's a bad scene. Let's actually hear what TJ has to say about the whole scenario. Uh, so recently I went to Battle for Salvation and I tried a new chaos list. Uh, tried some Disco Lords with uh, Magnus and some different things. And uh, some of the lists had some really good success, but I immediately, after going to that event, realized that there were some uh, problems to the list. So this weekend, or this time around for this event, I changed some things. I added um, some new units that really worked out well. Um, added some additional Plague Bearers, uh, as well as... Um, some uh, took out the Disco Lords, and I added some tanks, uh, which... 
uh, all really made the list uh, a lot better. I definitely felt the difference in the list. So um, I was very happy with the performance of the list. I don't think there's anything I'd change at this point, uh, list-oriented-wise, so that that's good. Um, but, yeah, uh, MVP of the weekend uh, was definitely Magnus. I mean, Magnus is Magnus. So, uh, you know, Primarch of uh, Thousand Suns really knows how to take out Space Marines. Uh, I mean, there was some pretty crazy uh, parts to the weekend. Um you know, I think uh, game three, I had an entire Necron army shoot into Magnus, and he took one wound. Now, obviously, he was he was buffed, um, you know, with his three-up invul and everything like that, but that's still a surprisingly uh, resilient and surprising number of damage that he didn't take. So that was some pretty crazy stuff for the weekend. Uh, so I definitely got to give it to him. I mean, he single-handedly won me my, my finals game as well. Uh, you know, just the sheer number of shots he took and the damage he put out, really got to give it to him. So so some highlights of the weekend, some highlights of the final game um, was definitely the... Uh, I think it was about turn four... I uh, was on the defensive because Iron Hands with a 5 off Feel No Pain is, is pretty terrifying. Uh, against Mortal Wounds is pretty terrifying. So I was trying to basically trying to keep everything back, trying to keep everything out of range um, to make sure that Magnus didn't die because he's a priv- uh, pretty pivotal part of the list. He needs to survive. And uh, he did his smite, rolled a 13, roll for damage. Rolls a 12, immediately just wipes out a unit of suppressors. So that was pretty It was pretty good. Um, but the biggest part of that game was probably uh, putting all my troops in reserve and then making a 9-inch uh, charge to put all my Plague Bears into melee and basically surround a tank and not get shot for the whole game. Basically won me the game. And just before we jump into the last TJ clip here, I just wanted to really call this out because uh, earlier uh, Brian was talking about uh, playing an army that you know in the face of you know horrible odds, aka the Space Marine meta, and uh, you know really being true and playing something that you understand. And uh, so I posed uh, a similar thought to uh, TJ in the questions this week, which uh, was more along the lines actually of you know how are you making chaos work? I thought everything was supposed to suck now. And uh, this is what he had to say. So everybody's been talking about Space Marines and how they're so broken and how, you know, they think that the meta currently is if you're not playing Space Marines, then you just lose. I, I don't believe that's true. I honestly think, especially now with the Iron Hands nerf, I think that you need to know your army more than you've ever known your army. I think to come to the table and try to play against these uh, these factions you know space marines in general that are just way overpowered you need to know exactly what your army does you need to be effective with your army and know its strengths its weaknesses and exactly how to you know exploit both of those things so um i don't think it's impossible to win games without space marines uh, at all so uh, i think that you need to stick to your guns and play the army that you are accustomed to and that you have the most experience because that's what's going to win games. You know, experience wins games more than actual armies. Now, if you're playing in a state without a sales tax and a suspicious amount of Tim Hortons franchises, and it wasn't won by TJ, there's a fairly good chance it was won by Louis Stolberg. Playing for the Steel City Legion, this hometown hero will likely vault up to the top 25 with this win. 
Let's see what he was packing. So, Lewis was running a Cult Mechanicus, or Admech for some people, battalion. It was a Mars Forge world. He had Belisarius Call and Data Lassososus. He had five Catafront Breachers with arc, uh, heavy arc rifles and arc claws. Two squads of five uh, Skatari Rangers. In his elite slot, he had a squad of 10 Sicarian Infiltrators, and then three of them, Scorpius Disintegrators. In his uh, transports, he did bring one of them, Scorpius Dune Riders. Mm. He then had another battalion, this one Stygies, with two Tech Priest Engine Seers, and one, two, three, four, five squads of Skatari Vanguards, all of them with uh, Plasma Calivers and Radium Carbines. And three more Scorpius Dune Riders. And he topped it all off with a Mars Spearhead Detachment with a third Tech Priest Engine Seer and three Onager Dune Crawlers. Two of which running Icarus Arrays and Cognist Heavy Stubbers and one of them just running that Icarus Array. Now we're starting to see, I mean, obviously there's been success with Tau recently. And, you know, we've talked a few, uh, talked about a few top table or GT winning Admech lists, but not really in the conversation of the, the very large majors, I think. Uh, you might immediately correct me if I'm wrong. But where do you think Admech's sitting in the meta right now? Prior to the Space Marine release, Admech were in a very good place. They, like you said, they were top tabling a lot of GTs. They were doing well at majors. Um, they had kind of climbed up into that low fifty percent win rate, which kind of seems to indicate that they're that they're um, that they're in a good place. They had a decent T whip. Um, the post Space Marine meta, they kind of disappeared. There were a lot of cult Mechanicus players that you saw kind of drop the uh, drop the army and switch to something else. But they're Still pretty strong. Um, I really like Lewis's list. This isn't the first time we've seen him run it. This kind of uh, Dune Rider spam filled with these vanguards because it, it's a lot of plasma shots. Those Sicarian infiltrators, they can put out a ton of shots as Mars, uh, possibly to show some mortal wounds. Um, it's a it's a very aggressive list is the thing because everything's in your face right away. Um, and it, it can do a lot of work if you're not prepared for it. It's going to clear screens. It's going to clear bodies. It's it's a deadly list. All right. Well, let's punch that clock and hear what Lewis had to say. Anything special about my list for this event? Um, yeah, I put some time into thinking about popular Iron Hand builds, ways to prepare myself for things like Eliminators and Suppressors. Although they do a good amount of damage, Playing Mechanicus, I was hoping with things like Shroud Psalm that I'd be able to reduce the amount of damage they'd inflict on my army because basically the extra 1 AP for being in the Devastator Doctrine is negated um, at least a little bit, um, which tends to help. Also, due to the fact that Thunderfire Cans are so prevalent, I went with some transports to put all of my infantry in um, to prevent them from getting nuked early in the game. Also gave me great movement and, of course, good output. Um, I think that obviously turned out to be a good choice because I fought Iron Hands three out of five rounds at this event. Gene Steeler Cult being the other two. What unit was my MVP? Um, that's tough to say. Obviously, the Scorpius Disintegrators are always super damaging. You know, Iron Hands, a lot of two wound guys. If they fail one, you know, feel no pain. You know, the, the energy cannon or the uh, missile would kill a lot of guys. <clears throat> I would say that uh, unit of five breachers I had were particularly good. Um, often they're underwhelming, but with Call, Dedalius, um, a lot of people were running Dreadnoughts, you know, the you know, 14, 13 wound area, and 
put a couple of those through. They either have to waste CP on um, using some of the defensive strats against them, or they just get nuked uh, fighting things like Invictors and Redemptors all weekend. Certainly was helpful to either blow them, you know, blow their whole CP battery, or simply to just kill the target. Um, as far as tournament highlights. Um, you know, I, I was fortunate um, on um, getting to uh, go first um, versus all three Iron Hands players, which, of course, really helps. Um, they also had um, some really good terrain for the event. Um, there'll be another um, Steel City event here in Pittsburgh, um, either in the end of April, beginning of May, which people should definitely look out for. Um, very good tables. The missions are a mix of Nova and ITC format. Um, it's very cool, kind of a unique take on it with uh, interesting tertiaries. Makes for a good competitive event, um, and it was well run. I guess the one unique thing I want to point out is how different all the Iron Hands lists I fought over the weekend actually were. First one had a Leviathan, um, which I was able to fortunately tag early in the game and prevent from shooting uh, several rounds, which was pretty cool. But his was very much infantry-based, uh, even though he had a couple hunters. Um, that was, you know, big units of uh, infantry was kind of interesting. Second guy was playing a lot of Dreadnoughts, Redemptors. He had Thunderfire Cannons, Whirlwinds. Very different. The last guy was playing Deradios with Laz Cannon characters and Infiltrators. So all three versions were, like, super different. Um, you know, one had Phobos characters, one had Pharos, one had just Tech Marines all over the place. Just shows how strong that book is. Um, but with smart list building and strategy, I, I don't think they're undefeatable. Top table highlight. Um, well, I, I think my opponent was quite good. I think his list was super damaging. He was playing three Deradio Dreadnoughts with the, uh, character, uh, Chaplain with the Twin Laz Cannon and a regular character with Twin Laz. Very damaging versus my vehicle. Definitely the most aggressive. Big mistake he made was using his Eliminators, um, he did not <clears throat> deploy them really outside of his deployment zone. And obviously, I was playing some Stygy, so I was planning to move forward. He simply could have put some uh, in the middle of the board, preventing me from getting my easy free game move. I went first. He didn't. Um, obviously, I moved forward, got out, took over the middle of the board. We were both end game. Um, at that point, he had almost no way to claim back the four objectives. I think that that deployment was a huge mistake in the last round, and I think that was a major factor as to where, you know, how I won. I just kept the pressure on until the clock ran out. Tournament news. Scarry here from Scardcast. And you are listening to Stats Center. So that's it for the bigger events that happened this weekend. That said, we would be remiss if we didn't cover some of the smaller GTs that came across our desk and give them a little of the love they deserve. So it's time for some quick hitters. First up, we have Kippers Melee, a 32-player ITC GT that took place in Nanaimo, BC, birthplace of possibly the greatest square-type dessert the world has ever seen. That, of course, being the peanut butter marshmallow brownie. The event would be won by Cameron Bowler, running the same Custodes Grab Tanks and Admex Scorpio Pusses that he took all the way at Attack X earlier this year. Let's hear it from Cameron. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Um, anything special about my list? Uh... 
Not particularly. Same list I took to Attack X in Kamloops. Um, it plays really well from the bottom of the turn. It moves fast and it hits pretty hard from a long range. Um, and it performed just as well at uh, Kippers as it did in Kamloops. My MVP units for this weekend would most likely be the Custodes support characters, Trajan and the Vexilla. Uh, when they're not giving the reroll bubbles or the minus one to hit bubbles, they're providing a really good counterpunch uh, for those assault units getting into my lines. Uh, some highlights from the tournament would have to been maybe round three. I played my teammate, uh, Jordan Solomon and he was playing his Harley bikes really aggressively and managed to get a wrap on my Admec tanks and had me on the ropes. And if it weren't for the Custody characters digging me out of that, uh, I would have been in trouble. The top table was against Jesse Baker and his Dark Eldar. Um, it was a pretty standard Dark Eldar list and he, he played a really good game. They just, uh, Dark Eldar, they, they died pretty quickly. And I actually got to the point uh, on the third turn where I'd killed almost everything I could, uh, could see. And he played a really good game and used the magic boxes to take it all the way to six and make it a, make it a pretty close game, actually. Uh, yeah, I'd like to give a shout out to the TOs of Kippers. They did a really good job. Um, and I know they have, a, they have a, had an announcement for a BC Championship, which is going to be Wet Coast uh, in Vancouver, uh, Attack X and Kamloops and uh, Kippers in Nanaimo. Uh, so look forward to participating in that and I'm sure you'll hear more about that in the future. And also give my team a shout out, the Molly Wamping Thundercats from Victoria, BC. Thank you. Congrats, Cameron. Glad we caught you on your morning jog. Next up was the Autumn Hall GT in the UK. This 32 player event marks the third in the seasonal GT's run at Hull's Angels and was won by James McKenzie's Gene Stuber Cults. Let's hear from the master of disaster himself. So the list approach is just, um, I've been playing cult for a long time and this is what I found tweaked works well for me. The list is a toolbox, so it's just very flexible and can work with anything that I come up against, which is sort of the way I prefer to play rather than skewing to anything in particular. I'd say rather than having a unit that was an MVP, I sort of had a conglomerate of units that was an MVP which was uh, the Neophytes with all the buff characters, so the Jackal Alphas, the Kelmorph, and the Patriarch. All combined, it's a lot of firepower, um, hitting on threes, re-rolling ones, re-rolling to wound. It did serious damage in every game, and it also allows you to take over a lot of the board with 40 fearless bodies with a 6-up invulnerable save. It's very helpful to trying to control the game as well as removing a huge threat. So um, my highlight was actually the 6 Iron Hands Flyer game. Probably a little bit of masochism built in there. Um, it was an incredibly tough game. It was against a good friend of mine and teammate of mine as well. Um, the game was very, very close and tight. It finished 30-28 in my favour. And it also had the, my favourite moment of the tournament in it, which was my Kelomorph popping back out of reserve on turn 6, double firing to kill a unit of intercessors and a librarian to simultaneously score kill, kill more, the bonus point, recon and a headhunter to swing the game on the final turn. It was a massive play, and it was just exactly what that guns gunslinger sets you up to do. So the top table matchup was Iron Hands again. I actually played every Marine player in attendance of this tournament. Um, it was your fairly standard three flyers, repulsors, thunderfire cannons. Um, the big trick was I set myself up to almost be able to be tabled turn one uh, in an attempt to bait the flyers out to stop them screening me, which my opponent took. 
Um, he didn't quite get the tabling, which I was pretty sure he couldn't without magical dice. Um, and then I just poured through and the game spun on that decision, really. Um, by turn three, I think we were down to a Thunderfire Cannon and a Chapter Master on the table for his side. It was it got really violent when the Rock Swords and Aberrants got into him. Uh, final comments, I'd just like to say that it was a very well-run event. Um, it was a very, very high standard of play. Terrain was excellent. Uh, I really enjoyed the the event. It's uh, my third time winning a whole GT, so got the three-peat in there, which was big fun. Um, and thank you very much to Mark for running everything for us. And finally, we have Edmonton Onslaught, a 28-player ITC GT that took place in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and featured Darren Jack clubbing a pile of baby seals. Something entirely acceptable with the right license in this province, I'm quite sure, with his Tyranids and GSC. Before we assume, heading over to West Edmonton Mall for a dessert crepe and some nice skating. This man, he is a true romantic. And that... Everything for this week, ladies and gentlemen, congrats to all the winners, the losers, and the cool guys and girls that made it all possible. Pete, that thing you do every time. Let's not fuck it up. Bye-bye. Was that a RuPaul reference? This has been 40K Stat Center, a presentation of the Frontline Gaming Podcast Network. Like what we do? Subscribe to and rate us on YouTube and wherever podcasts can be found. Join the conversation. Follow 40K Stat Center on Facebook. You can also support the show directly by joining the Chapter Tactics Patreon and competitive 40K in general via the ITC Patreon or by grabbing a subscription to BCP. BCP.